We have the opportunity just to kind of recap where we've been uh, in our study of, um, of the book of Mark. And so if you're uh, new to us, this is something that we do. We actually go through books of the Bible. And so uh, we are right in the in sort of in the heart of the Gospel of Mark. And our series is simply titled The Way of Jesus and the reason is, is because Mark is a very um, quick and to the point style of writer. And so um, he kind of goes through all of these events and things that Jesus is teaching, but he's doing it to be on the way somewhere else. And that really is to that last week of Jesus' life, so what we call the Passion Week. And so he will spend a lot of time on that, and we will too, in the last chapters of his letter um, but we've been going through Mark, and we had the, the great privilege, hopefully you were here for this, but last week uh, just had a, a special guest speaker, a friend of mine and mentor and former pastor of mine, Dr. Greg Haig with Chosen People Ministries, and, um, and it was just a blessing to hear from him and his heart uh, for Jewish evangelism and the reasons for that. And I think it's also very appropriate because of our uh, proximity to Lakewood, and um, so there are some things in there. Hopefully, you're able to take away from that and just how we should be praying for all people groups, in, including our Jewish friends, and that they would be receptive to the gospel. And so that was uh, just a great treat for us last week. Um, but we are now back in uh, in our study in the book of Mark, and so we are in Mark chapter six, and it's verses thirty to forty-four. So, uh, as always, it'll be up on the screen for you in a moment when we read it together. But it's Mark chapter 6. We are in verses 30 to 44. And if you, if you read ahead, or if you're just taking a glance at it now, you'll notice this is a very familiar story. It is the miracle of Jesus that is actually the only one that's in all four Gospels. But it is the account of Jesus feeding the 5,000, as we say in how he multiplied the loaves of bread and the fishes. And so we're going to look at that. Um, but you know, what's, what's interesting is when you read a passage of Scripture that you're very familiar with, probably all experience this, you know, what we can pray is that God would sort of maybe give us a different perspective. But isn't it a great testimony to the power of the Word of God that you can read the same verses and the same passage many times and get something different from it each time? So our focus this morning is not necessarily going to be on the miracle itself of Jesus multiplying the loaves and the fishes and feeding the multitudes, but it's going to be on something that happens just in the, in the verses leading up to it. And we're going to look at Jesus being our shepherd and how he sees us as his sheep because there, is, uh, there are so many important applications and implications for us as the church that we can take away from this amazing story. But, you know, as I was reading it, I was just reminded of a, a few things, you know, and, and we had quite a busy week as, uh, as a family, and, you know, we could probably go around and share, right, it would take us a long time to share what our weeks were like and how busy we were. But you ever notice, especially just more and more these days, when you talk to people, how busy everybody is? And I know we feel it, right? And um, I love keeping my calendar, but to be honest, you can be a slave to it sometimes, right? And you look at your calendar and you see how it gets filled up and maybe you just want to have coffee with a friend and that shouldn't be too hard, should it? But then you look at your calendar and say, how about in three weeks from now on a Tuesday morning? You're like, wow, you know? And so you, and so you see how busy you are and it's important to kind of take stock of 
what is it that we're filling our life with? You know, we hear these days a lot about multitasking. Oh, we can do all these different things at the same time and get so much more done. And in a way, I feel like we've become slaves to even that idea. But it's actually, from what I understand, they go back and forth with this, it's been proven that people actually can't multitask. You ever hear that? It's like we say, oh, we're multitasking, doing three or four things at once, you know, but technically my understanding now is that our brains really aren't multitasking. We can do a few things together at once really fast, but we're not actually doing multiple things at the same time together. And so what happens is we tend to speed through life when we really need to slow down. You know, and I think we can all relate to that. And we're going to see that's in a way, it's what Jesus teaches us this morning, as uh, we'll read in just a moment about how he addresses his disciples. They had just come back from a, um, just come back from a, a, their first sort of mission trip. And uh, we'll see, like, they were successful and they were doing a lot of good, but Jesus calls them back and sort of gives them some direction. But, you know, um, in a way, I think they were used to multitasking for that time. And Jesus pulls them aside and says, hey, let let some step back for a minute and and get some perspective and rest. You know, I was reading some statistics on multitasking recently and about how busy we are. And it's been uh, there was a study done in 2010 by the Bergman study group. And they said that um, people trying to multitask leads to as much as a 40 percent drop in productivity increased stress and even a 10 percent drop in our iq now for some of us we really can't afford no i'm just talking and they go on to say in the same study that the estimated cost of interruptions to our economy in america from people trying to multitask is over 600 billion dollars a year crazy right um on average Those individuals who use a computer for work, I mean, who doesn't really, in some way or another, use computers for work, um, are distracted maybe once around every 10 to 10 and a half minutes, this study says. Now, I can attest to the fact that I get distracted way more than 10 and a half minutes, or once every 10 and a half minutes. But for those people using computers, let's say in an eight-hour day, it says an average employee might use up to two, uh, lose up to two and a half hours just the distractions alone and that's not good for your productivity and it's not good for your employer either and then it's not good for our economy right and it goes on to say that even doing something like watching television and this is sort of an ongoing joke in our family that even when you're watching television which seems like it can be an engrossing activity most people these days 42 percent of individuals will actually browse the internet on their phone while they're watching a tv show or a movie 29% will talk on their phones, and 26% will be texting or sending a message about something completely unrelated to what they're watching. And you know, we joke about that in our family, that maybe we're trying to sit down and watch something together as a family, and then you look around and we're all sort of on our phones. Hey, did you see that? Uh, Yeah, yeah, it's good, you know. Or you go into a restaurant these days, and there's a family of four sitting there, and what are they doing? All four of them on their phones, you know. And sometimes... It's more the adults, the parents, and the kids are like, hey, get off your phone, right? And I can see a lot of people are, yeah, you're looking around at each other, and that's you, right? But we do that. The idea is, hey, multitask. We've got to get a lot done. We don't want to lose out, 
right? We need to be going and doing stuff. But it's not, it's really not the case. And then this last statistic I really liked, it said, if you're a music lover out there, don't worry. There's a Stanford professor named Professor Clifford Nass, and he did this study. He says, in the case of music, it's different because we have a special part of our brain, evidently, for music. So we can listen to music while doing other things. And so that's a good check mark for those of you who love to listen to music and do other things. Maybe that's not considered multitasking, and that's okay, right? But anyway, all that to be said is that it is certainly, uh, you know, a prevalent part of our society these days, that we are all so busy. But Jesus reminds his disciples, and in doing so reminds us, that we need time to get away. We need time to rest. We need time for that mental rest. Maybe some of you have even taken a mental day. Do you ever do that like from work? I just kind of need like a mental day off. You know, you have to maybe call out sick, but I just need a mental health day, you know. Um, whatever that looks like for you. But we all get caught up into that, even to the point where sometimes, I know you've done this as well, you're so busy you forget to eat. You ever do that? And you're just like, I need breakfast or lunch today. Well, it's interesting because that kind of happens here in our story. So let's read it. This is Mark 6, 30 to 44. It is the account of this amazing miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000. But then, but then look at specifically the beginning of what it says leading up to Jesus actually performing this miracle. It says, The apostles had returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Remember that he sent them out two by two? And he sent them out to bring the message of the kingdom, to heal the sick, and to cast out demons. So here they come back. They're telling Jesus everything they did. They're filling them in. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place. Let's rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat and so they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves now many saw them going and recognized them and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them when he went ashore meaning jesus he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and so he began to teach them many things When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. In the hour, it's now late. Send them away, meaning the crowds, to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, He looked up to heaven, he said a blessing, and he broke the loaves. He gave them to the disciples to set before the people, and he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate 
and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Isn't that amazing? So just a few things that we want to mention about this, and then we're going to sort of bring it to our focus where we'll park for just a few minutes together. Um, you know, we're familiar with this, most of us, with this um, account, and we know, we've heard it said, that there was more than 5,000 people there, because it says at the end it was 5,000 men. So back then, they often counted groups by the men that were there. So if you think about wives that were there and children there was at least 10,000, maybe 15,000 or more people. Think about that. That's like a hockey or basketball arena full of people. And Jesus feeds them all. They had five loaves of bread and two fish. Did you ever prepare a meal for a big group of people coming to your house? You're always worried, I'm not going to have enough. I'm going to have enough. Jesus, of course, didn't worry, but the disciples did. So notice what's going on. So Jesus fed the multitude, 10, 15,000 people. But let's kind of just recap this story so we have an idea of what we're doing and just want to mention a few things about what we need to, to notice here. So we see that they had returned from their short missions trip, short-term missions, and they came back and evidently they were very successful. And they were telling Jesus all about what they did. Jesus, you told us we had authority. We could cast out demons. We did that. And we got to heal people with leprosy and diseases they've had their whole lives. And we did that. And he was telling them, they were telling them everything. And they were so excited. And you can see Jesus as their shepherd just being so encouraged by that. But what does he do? He says, come away by yourselves. Come with me and let's retreat. Let's go to this isolated place away from all the ministry, away from all the multitasking, even though it's good stuff, let's just get away and be by ourselves and rest for just a while. And so they attempt to do that. They were so busy telling them what they were doing and being in ministry and so excited, they even didn't have time to eat. And he says, come on, let's eat something and let's rest for a while. So they tried. Good idea. But what happened was, and we've seen this all throughout our study in Mark, haven't we? Aren't there always crowds following the Lord Jesus and His disciples? They're always there. You can't get rid of them. It's like those special people in your life. Whenever you turn around, there they are. right? And here they are. There's this group of people always, always coming after Him. And so what happened was, there was a few of them in the crowd that had been following Jesus' disciples, and they saw them get in a boat to go to a different shore, a desolate place. And so the word spread. So what did they do? They ran. You can even picture it. They like ran down the beach somehow and they got to where Jesus and his disciples were going to land. And so Jesus and his disciples went out to just have some time together, just to get out to be alone. And they approached the shore and what do they see? Just a throng of people. And it says they approach and Jesus sees the crowd. Verse 34, he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. But look at what happens. And this is where the story changes. What did he do? Did he get mad? Did he say, hey, leave us alone. We need time together. No. Nope. Does he try to go to a different place and outrun them? No. It says he had compassion. But why? And here's what I want to focus on today, church. The why. We know He performed a great miracle. And He turned those 
five loaves and two fishes into, into great multitudes so he could feed the multitudes. But why? It says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were like sheep without a shepherd. So what does he do first, church, at the end of verse 34? He began to teach them many things. Now, if you remember from our our study, what did the people really want? They wanted the free food. They wanted the healings, right? They wanted the big show. Maybe some of them for the right reasons. And a lot of them, they needed to be healed. So you can't blame them. They needed food. They saw that. But what does Jesus do first? He teaches them. He has the crowd, and they're in want and in need. And it says, he taught them many things. But then look at what happens. Again, just briefly recounting the story. He says, and then it says, it grew late, verse 35. The disciples then said, okay, Jesus, you're done teaching. Like, this was great. We didn't get to have our time alone, but we get it. It's ministry. You're having compassion. You're the good shepherd. But now it's getting late, and so these people need to eat and find some shelter. So Jesus, send them away now. You're, kinda, you're done with your thing. Like, send them into the towns and tell them to get some food and shelter. Like, we'll be here tomorrow. Come back for tomorrow's showing, you know? But what does he say? First of all, let's look at that. They had just come away from a missions trip. And with all the authority that Jesus gave them, they cast out demons, they healed sick people, they preached the gospel of the kingdom, and now they're saying, Jesus, send the people away. We're done with them. And basically, Jesus said to them, well, first of all, we haven't even met their physical needs yet. I was teaching them. But he says, how about this? How about you give them something to eat? Why would he say that? Because they just got back from doing it. They were out on the missions field. They come back and now they're kind of just forgetting everything that God did in and through them. Can you relate to that? That oftentimes that God uses us to bless and to help other people and He blesses us by, by answering our prayers and providing for what we need and, and then we just quickly forget. And it's kind of the disciples were doing that. That they were just forgetting all that Jesus had allowed them to do. And so He says, how about this? Remember what you were just doing on the mission field? How about we do it for our people right here? I mean, it's good to have to support missionaries and, and pray for our missionaries that are in Brazil and other parts of the world, but aren't there people that are in need right here among us? Is there not a reason that we go to help New York City Relief on the streets of New York? Right, Just right here in our backyard? I mean, there's local ministry to be done too. And so Jesus says, how about you give them something to eat? They still didn't get it. You want us to use all our money and, and take all the money that we have in our ministry account and go buy enough food and, and bread and stuff to feed all these people? So you can see maybe Jesus getting a little, okay, again. And he says, how many loaves do you have? And go check it out. They're like five and two and So he kind of broke them all up. Jesus, God is a God of order. Sit in groups of 100 or 50, a little bit easier to kind of dish out the food, right? When they're sitting in groups and not everybody's like crowding around. And so he does just that. He lifts it up to heaven. He blesses it. And of course, we know the story and, and it just gets multiplied. Can you imagine that? They're passing around the baskets and as they take, they're still more and more and more. Even to the point, let's not miss this, 
that there was some left over. They gathered 12 baskets, it seems, full of broken pieces. There was even some left over. We'll get to that. And those who ate were 5,000 men, so at least 10, 15,000 people. So that's the story. But you know, in a way, what we really see here is Jesus is feeding his sheep. His disciples are his sheep. And the crowds are also his sheep. First, he sees the disciples and he sees their need. They're so hyped up and excited and they're multitasking, but you know what? He knows they're going to miss out on some things because of that. And he says, let's just take a break for a while. We all need that, don't we? It's important we take that Sabbath rest, whatever that looks like for you, and take that break to be alone with Jesus. He said, come and be with me. He says that to us this morning, church. Come and just be with me. Did you ever just experience just being in His presence? Not even going to pray or read the Word or or recite Scripture you've memorized. Not even just read your devotional. Do you ever just sit and be? That's really hard for us today, isn't it? Because why? We need to be doing something else. Like, yes, God, I'll, I'll meet with you. Let me just finish this text. Or, man, Amazon's got this sale. and Let me just get this one thing. Buy with one click. I can do it. It'll take a minute. It says it takes two minutes. I'll, I'll do it. But we do that, right? But Jesus says, just come and be with me. When He called them originally, didn't He say, come and follow me? And now He's saying, come away with me. You need some rest. Put it all aside. Even though it's good things. See? We need rest even from the good stuff. The disciples have been doing good stuff. And he says, come and rest. So Jesus is feeding his sheep, the sheep he's closest to. But he recognizes their need. And he says, come on, let's just be together and hang out. Let's have some fellowship. You need to just kind of decompress. So Jesus is caring for his sheep. But then also he sees the crowds. And instead of getting upset, like, man, I just wanted time with my disciples. I I can imagine the disciples were probably upset. Like, here they are again. Here's that great crowd. Jesus, just, can you do something? Can you make them disappear? You know? And uh, what does it say? Jesus had compassion. But why? Because he says, you know what they looked like? A bunch of sheep. But a bunch of sheep that didn't have their shepherd. Because he knew, of course, he was their shepherd. A little bit about sheep. Very interesting. Now, I don't think any of us here are sheep herders, but we have a little bit of an idea about sheep. First of all, we know that they're dumb. They're not very smart. So they really don't have the capacity. A couple of people raised their hand. Yes, I'm that sheep, right? I can relate to that. It, one of, the, one of the, the, the least smart, I hate saying the word dumb, but okay, the, the, the dumbest animals. And so they're not, they're not so intuitive. They're not going to have that discernment that they need. See, to make the right decisions. Did you know that even sheep, all they really do is eat. And they keep their head down. They're eating, they're eating. And they will gorge themselves and not even give themselves time to digest. That sometimes a shepherd needs to go over and gently put them on their side so they can rest and digest their food. That's something. The sheep truly need their shepherd. Now, Sheep also, if they happen to fall on their back, if they're just kind of muddling around, not paying attention, they get knocked over, they could probably get up. But if they are sort of on their back, they have no way of righting themselves. A shepherd needs to pay attention at all times to these dumb sheep. 
to make sure if they're not digesting, he needs to get them to do that. If they fall over, he's got to pick them up. You know why? They cannot right themselves. Does that sound familiar? But also, sheep are afraid of moving water. See, they, they do have a little bit of smarts in them. They know that what are they full of? Wool. What happens when you put wool and you immerse it in water? Gets heavy, doesn't it? And so they know probably from experience, oh, there goes Jimmy. There he goes. He fell, he fell, he fell into the river. So you know what? They won't go near rapidly moving water because they know, first of all, they can't swim too well. They're going to get soaked immediately and their wool's going to weigh them down and they will drown. And they will drown. And so the shepherd needs to make sure they have the grass they need to eat because they'll eat up all the grass and they won't even know better than to go over the next hill to where the grass is still green. They won't know. The shepherd needs to lead them and they won't know where to find that still water. See, the sheep absolutely depend on the shepherd. They are helpless. They are defenseless. They are hopeless. They are dumb. They are directionless. They won't know which way to go. They also, in being that they're defenseless, did you know that if, if, um, if someone is an animal, a wolf, let's say, comes to attack them, they don't know how to defend themselves. Even a dog might kind of growl and bark, and even if he's like outnumbered, you know, but sheep will just kind of what they do. You know what they do? It's pretty sad. They kind of all huddle together, and they're probably just thinking, as long as I'm not on the outside of this, this huddle, I'm good. And they just mull around, and what they do is they cry for help. Who are they crying out to? Their shepherd. Because they know their shepherd's voice. See, but that's what they'll do. So they're completely defenseless. And even if a wolf comes and picks off their neighbor, they'll just keep eating. And they'll just kind of hang out. Oh, I don't know. I don't know where he went. You see? They completely are dependent. And this is important. They are completely dependent upon their shepherd. Now, of course, when Jesus says this to the disciples, and you know whether he said it out loud or not, I know. But of course, he does. I mean, we don't know. But there's other times in... In Scripture, where in the Gospels, where he talks about himself being the shepherd, and, and we are his sheep. See, and but people would know back then why? Because the sheep were like a, a huge part of the people of Israel, it was a huge part of their economy way back when, right? And, you, and going all the way back to their history, and and they knew about sheep, even if they weren't shepherds, they knew about sheep. So Jesus looks upon this crowd. They're waiting for Jesus to come ashore. They're hungry. They're tired. They're sick. They, just, they need some healing. They need some comfort. They need some words of wisdom. And he looks on them and he says to himself, they're like sheep. They need their shepherd. Isn't that awesome? Because Jesus does that for us as well. So if you haven't caught on yet, church, Jesus is the shepherd. What does that make you? The sheep. We're, we're his, see, we're the sheep. We're the sheep, and so there's a lot we can learn. So with our time together, here's what I want to do. I want to take a very familiar psalm, the most familiar psalm, Psalm 23. 
right? Jesus being our good shepherd. I want to briefly look at those, those few verses in light of this story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and then just end with a few thoughts. But look at this, Psalm 23, right? The first couple of verses. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and He leads me beside still waters, Right? So, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So the writer, the Psalm of David, David is saying, you know what, I'm a sheep. But when I'm not with you, Lord Jesus, I'm without my shepherd. When I'm not with you, Lord God, then I am directionless. I have no hope for the future. I don't know where to go, what to do. When my enemies attack me, I don't even know how to defend myself. I can't, I'm defenseless. God, I'm just too dumb to figure it out on my own. I need your help and your guidance. The Lord is my shepherd, but I shall not want. I shall not be in want. What does it mean? That the shepherd provides everything the sheep needs. Everything. Even helping us to digest. Right? that amazing? He says, I shall not be in want. So David is saying, you're my shepherd. Everything that I need, you supply. Isn't that what Jesus does with the five loaves and the two fishes? Everything they need, He supplies. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside still waters. Again, the sheep will eat up all their grass. They won't know any better to just move over 10, 20 yards. Hey, there's all green grass right there. They need the shepherd to say, let's just shuffle over a little bit. And they're like, hey, green grass. They won't know any better. But what does the shepherd do? He makes me lie down in green pastures. I'm just going to keep eating. And I'm going to keep eating. And I'm just going to keep eating. Well, we kind of do that. Well, sometimes like physically, we're going to do that in about 20 minutes. Right? But we do that too with even even the temptations of the world around us. The life that we live. We can all have those addictive personalities, can't we? Man, it's just like, isn't it so enjoyable sometimes to just binge watch a show like on Netflix? You know? Or there's a show you record and you're catching up. Man, because why? You watch this show and it's so good and you're just, in the, the episode's over, you're like, alright, just one more. Yeah, but it's midnight. Uh, just one more. It's okay. It's not, it's not a big deal. And all of a sudden it's three in the morning. And you're just like, man. Right? We've done that. But the idea is, we do, what? We have some of that green grass. We just want more and more and more. And just like the sheep, sometimes we don't know when to stop. But we need our shepherd and the Holy Spirit that He is within us to remind us when to stop feeding on those things that can get us into trouble. When we need to kind of lie down in those green pastures and just rest for a while. Digest everything, all the goodness He's given you and just rest for a while. We don't have to multitask and take it all in. We don't have to see what's on sale. We don't have to see what the latest news is while we're watching a movie with our family and, you know, and, and we have something cooking on the stove and all that. It's like, hey, let's just be present. That's like a big term these days. How about just being present? We didn't probably need to say that kind of thing 10 years ago. But he's saying that. So he makes me lie down in pastures. What does he do? A shepherd leads a sheep beside what kind of water? Still water. Not the river that's running fast because he knows that would cause us fear and we can drown. It's like that, as some commentators would say, that river of sin, that river of temptation 
that flows by us every day from the moment we wake up to the moment we fall asleep. We can get caught up in that river. And you know what that's like, church, right? You say, I can just sin like a little bit. Let me just dip my feet into this water. And what happens? It quickly just takes you away. Doesn't the current of temptation take us away? She says, he leads us by nice, still, safe waters. And that's what the sheep are looking for. They're afraid of those rushing waters. And so that's what the shepherd does. He gives us rest and calms us down. He does it with his disciples and he shows compassion on the crowd. Verse 3, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The first thing he did was he taught them, didn't he? He saw the crowd. He had compassion. He said, they're like, they're just like sheep without their shepherd. So the first thing he does is he addresses their most important need. It wasn't food. It was the word of God. It was his word. So he taught them many things. And that's what restores our soul, church. We get, I know we all feel it when you're feeling absent from God, when you're feeling distant. We know it's those two things we hear over and over. We've got to get back in the Word and we've got to pray. But why do we say those things over and over? Why do we think about it? Because that's how we connect with Him. That's what restores our soul. When you're feeling lost and lonely, when you're feeling like your soul is aching, remember He is there. He is there to teach us in His Word pray ask the holy spirit to lead and to guide you into paths of righteousness for his name's sake for jesus does that for his sheep he does it for the crowds he teaches them and he does it for us verse 4 even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me that's what a shepherd will have the rod and the staff even though We're going through trials and temptations and tribulations. Our shepherd is there. The whole crowd. Can you imagine? Everything was represented by them. There were some that were dying. There were some with disease. There were some that were demon-possessed. They were helpless and hopeless. And he knew and he saw and he said, they need need my rod and my staff. They They need me to comfort them even when they're going through what they feel like is the valley of the shadow of death. And I need to tell them, the sheep, they need not fear. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I'm with you, God says. Don't be dismayed, I'm your God. I'm going to strengthen you, I'm going to help you, I'm going to uphold you with my righteous right hand. He does that. God does that when we're faltering and failing. He lifts us up. He encourages us through each other and His Word. He protects us. See, remember I mentioned that when sheep get turned upside down, they can't right themselves. That's like when Satan turns our world upside down, when the enemy has his way. When we, let, when we give him that foothold, we cannot right ourselves. Only Jesus can do that. And you know what? Therein lies the gospel. That it is by grace, God's grace, that we are saved. Through faith. Not of our own works, because we can't right ourselves. When, our, when we are upside down, and we're not facing the right way, only Jesus and His blood, His shed blood to cover our sins will allow us to be right. Only God can lift us up, set our feet upon the rock, make our footsteps firm, Psalm 40. So when we're feeling the pull of disease, 
We're feeling that hopelessness, that anxiety, that depression, that fear of losing a job or that difficulty in relationship. Let us remember that we have a good shepherd who tells us, do not fear. You are with me. I am with you. Jesus gets off that boat. He doesn't leave the crowd. He says, I'm here. And he teaches them to restore their soul. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He fed them. He not only fed them the word, but he gave them the food that they needed. He fed the 10, the 15,000 people. He performed a miracle. He superseded all of his own laws of nature that he created and performs a miracle. That's what a miracle is. When God goes outside of his own laws of nature and physics and energy and all that, and he does what we call the impossible, that is the miracle that he performs. He tells his disciples to feed, to have a time of rest. He says, but you know what? But they lack the faith. He says, how about you feed them? They're like, tell all these people to leave. But what are we going to do? Spend all our money on them? And he says, you can feed them. You're just not getting it. You don't know how. Think about this. What were the disciples actually doing? They were taking this group of people that were in need and they were sending them away from the shepherd. Jesus says, no. You don't do that. When you're in need, you come running to the shepherd. You lay down all your needs at his feet. See, church, we have the good news. We're not to then spurn other people. There are people in need in our own families, our places of work around us. There are people in need. We should not send them and just say, I hope you get some food someday. Go and be well. Remember that? Nope. He says, don't do that. How about we introduce people to the good shepherd because that's where they will be fed so the disciples were doing just the opposite send them into the towns jesus tell them to get their own food and shelter and he says no bring them to me we'll take care of them they are sheep without a shepherd he prepares the table but even doing it in the presence of the enemies when all those things seem like they're crashing down around us the world the life just living life he will provide all that we need says you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows not only did jesus provide all that they needed it says there were baskets and baskets left over i believe that's what it says and isn't that amazing didn't just give that but he gave them all that they needed remember exodus 16 when god provides the manna and the quail for the people of israel in the desert and he tells them just go out and take everything you need for that day it'll be totally enough but don't keep any. Don't try to hoard it. Don't try to keep eating all that grass, right? That, that idea. Just take what you need because I'll provide more tomorrow. And there were people that were disobedient. And they took extra. God won't see. And what happens to the extra manna? It spoils and gets maggots, right? So what's God saying? Just trust me. I'm your shepherd. I'm going to lead you to green pastures and besides still waters today and tomorrow... If I give you a new day tomorrow, there'll be more green grass for you. Don't worry about it. I'll provide all your needs and there'll be enough left over that you can share. Right? Go and share with other people. And so there was even an abundance. God provides an abundance in times of difficulties. Even in the presence of our enemies, He prepares a table where our cups are overflowing. What does it say in Malachi 3.10? says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. 
thereby putting me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. We want those heavens over us. We sang it this morning. Those heavens opened up. Ephesians 3.20 refers to the God who is able to do what? Immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine. Pray. Dream big. Ask God for those things you're desiring. He will always provide everything you need and even some of what you want. It'll be left over always to share with others. Right? And finally, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's not just God providing, and then you kind of say, thanks God, and you go on your own way. Dwell. Dwell in His presence. That's all the people really wanted. They wanted to be near Him. Yes, they wanted all the good stuff, but you know what? Deep down, that's what restores our soul, being present with God. He fed them. He satisfied them. He blessed them not only by His provision and His protection, but simply by His presence. See, the crowds always followed Jesus. They wanting more. They really wanted their physical needs to be cared for. But Jesus saw the crowd. He had compassion. They were sheep without a shepherd. And He provided for them first and foremost the Word because He taught them many things. But what did He really want to get across? He wanted them to learn, look, I want you not just to have the bread and the fish. I want you to have the bread of life and the living water that I am. He not only provides it, it's Him. It's Himself. See, He gave His body for us. Shed His blood for us in a moment. That's what we're going to remember. So without a shepherd, sheep are helpless. They're hopeless. But you know what? At the end of the day, the truth is, that without a shepherd, sheep will die. They will die without the help of their shepherd. Jesus is our good shepherd. Without Him, we are helpless sheep. Without Him, Scripture tells us, there's no hope of life. There's no hope of eternal life after death. There is no hope outside of Jesus. For without Him, we will surely die. When you feel as if all hope is lost, when you're feeling powerless, to overcome the fears, the struggles, the difficulties. Remember this, in a way you're right. You cannot do it on your own. When you feel like your world is turned upside down just like the sheep, you cannot get yourself back on solid ground. Only God can do that. Remember that in Psalm 40, that great picture? I waited patiently for the Lord. He got closer to me. He heard my cry. He lifted me up out of that pit. He turned me back over, right? Set my feet upon a rock. He made my footsteps firm. See, He brought those green pastures and got me beside still waters. And He was my shepherd protecting me. And He put a new song in my mouth, Psalm 40 says. So that all will see and know that He is God. And, and, right? and so that's the idea. That's that overflow that He provides for us so that we can then share with others. It's that new song that He puts in our mouth. Remembering that God always provides everything we need and even some of what we want, but so that we can then share with others. Philippians 4.19 My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying to the church in Philippi, My God, He's going to supply everything that you need. Why? Because He's the Good Shepherd. He looks upon us, church, with compassion because we are like sheep without a shepherd. 
But we have access to that shepherd, church, and we can pray, we can read his word, we can even do what we're going to do now, come around the communion table and recognize that without what he did on the cross, humbling himself, Philippians 2 says, even to death on a cross, that we would not have that hope of life, we would, uh, of eternal life, we would not have hope of being righted in this life, that we might gorge ourselves on too much, not know when to stop, that we might get caught dipping our foot into the rushing river and get carried away. We have a good shepherd who is there every step of the way. Because if a shepherd is not always watching his sheep, something bad will happen. But our God is doing that. And so I want to move into our time of uh, around the table and